Hello, everybody. Welcome to the call up with myself, Daniel Holloway, and my co host, Gabe Lloyd. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm all right. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, man. What do we got coming? What, what, what we got going on this week? What's happening? I'm still buzzing off Littleton. Like, there's still mm. a lot of chatter about that race. Um, a couple things about it, but mostly just like how good the racing was. Like, everybody's like unanimously, it's continuing to come out that that was the hardest race of the year so far, the fastest race of the year. Cool. Um, et cetera. Um, yeah. So. I'm still just like buzzing off. Think about it. Like, I mean, that's just like so cool that that was such a hard race. Um, it was streamed really well. So everybody got to see it. Um, yeah. Could go back and rewatch nuances stuff. Um, we saw some stuff I, post podcast, you know, um, in the stream, probably with three to go ish. We saw Rodriguez just like fly up onto a curb and then mm-hmm. back in a, the field. And it's like, on the, the live stream, it was just like, what was that from talking to you? It was like, what was going on there? And then we saw Clever's video come out and, you know, Alfredo just um, overlapped a wheel and just like leaned into it. And then that wheel went away and all his momentum was going left and he was able to just catch it, get on the curb and then get back in. So um, yeah. pretty cool to see some of these, yeah, just head cams, GoPros, you know, point of view stuff to give us, yeah more of those views that we don't have live in the moment. Yeah. I think that if we could uh, be invited to go to these races, it'd be really nice to go do interviews immediately after of like what these hot moments were and why they potentially affected the event to really get those insights versus having to just comb through social and (laughs) (laughs) figure it out. Yeah. So, Um, but cool. Nonetheless, Uh, I've been, I've been having existential conversations around the value of live streaming and whether or not it's worth the investment for events or not. I I've come to the conclusion that I think it is worth it because even for us creating this podcast, the quality of what we can deliver is so much better when we actually can see it versus the other method is we are always interpreting through other people's channels. And so they're picking what we see and then we have to interpret based on that. So, I don't know. What do you think about that, though? I think we have to do a separate podcast and dedicate time mm-hmm. and energy to that. Um, as fathers, Padres today, we don't have the time <laughs> for this oh, to be true. long-winded. Uh, we do have a little bit of a firm window of to discuss this NCL race, but I think the live stream conversation has come up more than ever. I think there's a hard line and to those that believe in it and those that... Um, not that they don't believe in it, but it's just like the value, right? They have a hard time um, w- with that in the current state of things. So um, we should just take note, like, hey, let's do this podcast, this subject, uh, and go th- and do that because I think it's valuable, um, you know, especially last year to this year. So stay tuned for those one, people. But today we're going to talk about NCL Denver. Stop two of this series. They've changed things up as an organization, uh, which I think is great to not stay firm on their ideology from the beginning. You know, you can definitely see this organization has 
gotten feedback experience and are navigating through all this startup thing to figure out what works and not just staying hard nosed on uh, what they what they started. So we can. So see what are that. some of yeah? What are some of these big changes or some some changes of note? Uh, is it is it athletic stuff or the biggest change I see is that we've gone from a downtown Miami course, right? Street racing, that environment, to now we are in the, it is what it is, it's a parking lot of a, you know, the Denver soccer stadium, Mm -hmm. which has been done before. They did it in Vegas for Las Vegas and Crit Worlds is what they called it back then. And that was an outstanding course. Um, It was nice to know that it's fully sealed right? Like you're not going to get any cars, very little chance of any kind of spectators getting onto your course, etc. So as a rider standpoint, point of view, know that like we're on a fully closed course is always nice. Those are always yeah. the best training crits. Um, you know, maybe not always like the best course layout, you know, um, if you're just going to like a police training facility or something of that nature. Um, but with parking lots, it's like you can get you know, almost as creative as your mind will let you. We saw that in Red Hook with um, yep. Dave was able to do really fun, dynamic course designs with a clean sheet of pavement. You know, mm-hmm. this is this wide yep. open thing. We can make it how we want. Um, yeah, I was just thinking that Parc del Forum in Barcelona every year was just this open music venue that was essentially a large parking lot. Part of it was covered and part of it wasn't. And we would... David would always play with ideas and just sketch every year on what that could be. And that was the beauty of that course is every year it was radically different. Um, and there was there, I've heard that they were really great to race. So yeah, super fun. And this, I guess to be fair is like with the Denver course is not full parking lot. Um, it's, you know, some of the course goes um, roads between soccer fields that are out there. This, this huge complex. So I'm going to go attend because okay. it's close to see like really what it's, what it's all about. I like the course shape, you know, for everybody listening, you can go to nclracing.com, um, look it up uh, underneath the races tab, find Denver, and you can look at the, the course, but it is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight beautiful corners in a mile, 1.4 miles. The, it looks like they're all 90 degree turns. Yep. The website says, and we could see corners two, three, four, or I think are going to be man-made corners. Okay. Right. This is again, only what we can see kind of with the graphic given to us, but the, that shaded area makes me believe that that is open parking lot um, versus, you know, soccer field road, soccer field, etc. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd be really curious if this is like a U-turn or if there's going to be like a, Left turn, get the bike upright. Left turn, you know just how tight that is. But I do love that that's going to be, again, I've been talking about like courses with built-in features. We saw that at Littleton, a really tight road between two and three that forces everybody to go single file, you know, Um, and makes people hit the brakes and accelerate. I think that's really important um, part of crit design uh, just to make a good course, good experience uh, and a hard race. So yeah. I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, so I like this course. It's, my guess is it's all the the road conditions are going to be super good as it's like a relatively new facility, etc. 
So that's pretty cool. I like it. So. Right on. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how wide the course is at any given moment, if it's standard or if it tapers and widens at different points and how that could potentially affect the overall dynamic yep. of, of our race as well. Yeah, we could see, you know, uh, part of that course after the start-finish line doubles back on itself. So, yeah, like how narrow, you know, is that going to be, that experience, you know, and that's, as a rider, you know, if there's a breakaway that gets like 25 seconds, you know, it's one of those metering points where it's like, that's where they are, look at your computer and you can get your own time gap, stuff like that. So yeah. pretty cool. I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm excited to go check it out with some friends. Uh, it's a daytime race, you know, men are first at two thirty. women are next at four, which is, you know, well, that's interesting. typically right. For whatever reason, it's always been women, men. Um, so this is a bit of a change up and it's in the daylight, you know, fully, uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's a different. That's a departure from Miami as well. In Miami, we did traditional women first, then men second. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes. Notably, because of this uh, scoring system that NCL has, where you you win points on uh, every lap. I guess we'll call them points laps. Every is it single? Still every single lap? I think if I'm looking at the rule book, it's every lap. Three, two, one. Yeah. I guess we don't have time to get into it, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at the scoring system is there's a qualifier session Saturday night, you know, Wahoo trainer okay. thing. Um, those of our generation will be very familiar with that from Athens. Uh, yeah. They, they did that type of that thing. Uh, I was so bad at that. Yeah. Terrible. That was, that was, uh, I need draft. Lots of draft. Yeah. So, um, so the 10% 10 10 of the points for the event weekend come from the qualifier, 60% of the points come from race laps, and 30% of the points come from the final lap of each race. How does that work? Why don't we just have like a points race where like last lap is double points or something? Uh, I think it's to allow more points deeper, right? Mm. Um, instead of the 3-2-1, 3-2-1, one the whole race, and then, a, then there's some sort of uh, points allocation for the finish. Some of the other rules we, we saw that there's um, substitutions that can happen. Mm -hmm. But yep. what I don't understand is if you are a team of four, you don't get any substitutions. If you're a team of five, you're allowed a substitute one. And if you're a team of six, you get two. So as it's written in my small brain, does that mean like you're either a four-person total team, and then if you're a five-person team, you get a sixth rider, and if you're a six-person team, you get eight total riders? What? Or is it everybody's racing four, and then you can change, you know, of those four, you can change out two. And if there's um, five, you can change out one, or if you're four, you're just stuck with a four. That's where what? I'm not... Um, that seems a disproportionately penalize small teams yep huh i don't know i guess i like the idea in, in 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 my head it would be simpler like every team has five full stop and then you just swap in one rider yeah again i I'm mean not, as a spectator yeah as, as it's written i don't fully you know okay. if it's if it's different than how it's written so be it Strategically, sure. I think as a racer or a, a team director, how I would, 
you know, implement that um, resource, you know, successfully. Um, again, not knowing with, you know, again, I'm reading the NC Cup, NCL Cup rules, and this is summary. I don't know if there's more detailed rules somewhere else. Could be. Oh, um, like an <laughs> actual handbook somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it gets, you know, it says substitutions are allowed for strategic, mechanical, or physical reasons. Um, so does that mean, like, if you come in with a mechanical, the next rider goes in? Right, like nobody gets a free lap? Like, yeah. I, you know, I don't, don't fully okay. know. But if you did have six and you had two extra people, you could do some interesting, interesting tactics. Yeah. Um, I was clicking on the uh, Denver page here of what are the race rules? And then I thought maybe there's a hidden detail page, but no, we are just here. So what you guys can see at nclracing.com slash race dash rules. It's really all the information we have to work with. If anybody else out there has something uh, to help us decode this, let us know. Um, so uh, can I get into the points thing real quick yeah, with you? Let's go for it. So you're one of the best, you were one of the world's best points racers, if I do say so for you. you. Some days. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So um, why, what is the benefit of just doing this 3-2-1 versus like 5-3-2-1? And then also, why do we do it every lap versus having a break? Even if it were every other lap, would that not be better for the athletes to strategize? We'll tackle the points first. I do think having a 5-3 in either 2-1 or 5-3-1 having spaces is um, is better. I think it benefits those that like really try to go for the points versus, mm-hmm. you know, you can be, if it's, you know, just 3-2-1, you can be a little more passive in some type, you know, of, you know, it's very hard to for somebody to claw back, I guess, if you will. Versus, right. you know, if you take your run right, you can get five points and somebody that thought they were going to get some points get no points, you know. Um, yeah. So that, I, I think it's beneficial to have some some gaps in points, uh, that aspect. And then, yeah, the every lap thing, um, I don't, you know, I don't love it. Um because like, is it about a time thing? Like, they want the sprints to occur every 60 seconds or 75 seconds or something? Or, or you know Yeah, but what I if mean? we look at, like, tra- like, quote, traditional sports, right? Like, our familiarity with baseball, basketball, football, hockey, soccer, there's action, and then there's a reset period. Yeah. Right? To re-strategize. Whether that's football, like, you have a seven-second play. Mm-hmm. And then you have 40 seconds to, you know, get information to run a new play. In soccer, right, it's, it is a running clock, but you do have moments where they pull the ball back, ball back, communicate, you know, and say, okay, let's try this, you know, and there is a play they are trying to run. Basketball, right. same kind of thing. After a score, there's a time period to reset, try a new strategy. With cycling, it's, it's different, so to have points every lap, you don't. You have to be very quick to <laughs> to make those calls, make those readjustments, um, and it's easier to carry momentum 
you know, if we watch track racing and the, the point of lap in the Omnium, right? It's like once somebody gets away, you know, with a decent gap, the field goes like, okay, I'm not able to score anything. Therefore, I'm yep. not that interested in spending a lot of energy to bring this person back. Yeah, and similarly to that point, I've watched so many points races where uh, somebody tries to counter a point sprint lap and they don't make it and they're just sort of hanging out to dry and you're sort of got this dialogue as a commentator to say, this guy's out there, oh my gosh, can he make it? But then the ding, 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 the ring of the bell and then the rush of the field comes and then, oh, he just gets swarmed at the line and the five, three, two, one go to somebody else. And that's that's interesting to watch versus what I saw in Miami. Uh, we saw very dominant performances by Denver and Miami in the uh, women's field where riders would be away from the race completely and they were just racking up points like point after point after point and eventually the race was just done like denver denver just locked it up with 70 points in the in the women's race and then 69 in the men's because it was every single lap there were points on offer so there wasn't this opportunity so i guess to circle back to what you were saying from my perspective the reset in a points race is between the point sprints. Yep. Right. So in a velodrome, I guess I'm thinking maybe not everybody knows what a points race is, who's listening potentially, but you're all whatever. It's very quick. Every few laps, there's an intermediate sprint. Five, three, two, and one points are awarded to the top four riders only. On the final lap of the race, we award 10, six, four, and two. And, um, but those moments between the sprints are really where strategies can change. And riders' days can be won or lost in those intermediate moments. I don't see that potential here. And I witnessed that lack of potential in Miami. And that's why I wonder if... Yeah, I think like in this in this format in Criterion Racing, having that one lap off, if you did every other lap, allows the opportunity for the field to put in some energy to bring it back or reset the race yeah. without fear of losing out. If that makes sense, exactly. Yeah, it's like it's the mindset of like, okay, I have a lap to get back on terms, and then find points. Exactly. Uh, and so I just I just watched like defeat. Yeah, yeah, we just watched defeat occur in Miami, where like these teams eventually just be like, well, screw it. Like if I can't, like I'm gonna put in this effort, and like uh, by the time I kind of get there, and it's already gone, they already scored more points. Ugh. Like. Yeah, I'd almost like to see a right if we think of. You know, it's a 60-minute race, and how do you build to a climax or crescendo, right? Like a big moment. I think, we, like we saw in Miami, it was very much the opposite, where it was very action-oriented in the beginning. Yeah. And then once it started to, like, go oblong to one direction or one team, you know, lean into their favor, it's very easy as a collective to defend that lead. It People aren't incentivized to try to close that gap. Right, and so they just like kind of shut down. They're like, "Oh well, there's no chance, you know, we can win or or change our position all that much." So it's like, Meh. and everybody just it's just settled, and then you have an anticlimactic final sprint. You know, there's not like a build. Yeah. So it's like yeah. almost like, do you? Does it become you know again? We're track racers. We come from that background, and there's a lot of different variety of points races. But do you do a scaling points? So it's like every other sprint's worth more, like a snowball. Right? Like a snow, like we call it a snowball. Um, you know, where it's like the first lap is one point and then it's two, one and then three, two, one and then four, you know, 
etc. And it, you could get definitely into the high-level chess of how far you distribute points at some point. Yeah. Because if you give, if you just add one point to one place the whole time through, now like you, the whole team has to get points. So it's like you could have guys getting first and then fifth and then down the chain. But you could have one team that just like, as a strategy, just goes, we just always need to be within, you know, fourth through 12th. You know, right. the whole team, every lap, you yeah. know, and let everybody else kind of rush and fall back, rush and fall back. And that could be a way. But that's, again, storytelling. It may not be the right, exactly the right, but I think there needs to be a uh, point structure or something in which you're building the whole race that, um, like we see in the Omnium format, you have three races of collecting fixed points. But in the final points race is that any point you gain goes to your overall total. And we have seen people come back from, you know, 40 point deficits yeah. to win or podium because they're able to take laps and get that 20 points. They're able to just like, you know, they col collectively get their stuff together, have a great points race and really change their overall outcome. And then we see people yeah, that have bad days. They're second, they're first. And they just absolutely crumble because the pressure is put on, you know, physically and, you know, they end up fourth. Or they spend too much energy in the tempo yeah. early on and their legs are just shattered. I mean, didn't the kid who won the Omnium this year come back in the points race or something? He lapped like three times or something crazy. I, I know our our heads are circling and somebody out there is like, yes, of course. Or no, you're wrong. I mean, the um, one that's like most fresh because it was just yesterday and I watched it was the Kiwi gal was in second. and Michaela? No. Um, why is Who raced the Omnium for New Zealand? The younger of the um, oh. of all of them. She's actually really quite good and she's going to be even better come Paris. But she crashed in the, the missing out um, which is, you know, never good. But she was in second within striking distance of Jen. And, but just like fell apart and ended up like fourth, I think. Um, uh -huh. She scored some early points and then just took on too much water. And yeah, she went from second to fourth. And Archibald raced her way up on to into fourth. Kopecky raced herself up onto the podium. Diedrichsen um, raced herself forward to second. So... Yeah, so much can change if you do um, more points towards the end of the race. You know, it makes people pay attention. It, the, as a rider, you can't just go on a 12-lap breakaway, score a bunch of points, and be like, oh, you know, like there's really not that much left on offer for somebody to win. It's right. like, no, I still have to be a part of this bike race because, you know, there's more points towards the end than somebody who's been just sitting, you know, patient, can go out and strike out and get some big points. Um, and I don't think the final sprint should like erase all of that early work, but I think it should count towards like being a pretty serious, <laughs> um, you know, part of the points gathering, right? That means all teams right. have to participate in it. Like all that action's happening, etc., And things can change on the last lap, which I think is important. So is Allie Will Austin Allie, from yep. a from New Zealand, which is cool. She's actually racing T-Town. Um, 
I think that ultimately the the theme that we are both poking at is that a crescendo of a, of a bike race is really important for spectatorship, but also for the athletic experience, right? Because ultimately athletes can also become a little bit bored or just frustrated. And therefore, um, you know, the race, it sort of collapses on itself, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, I guess we're, we're uh, slowly moving on, but to yeah. touch on the points is looking at the current standings. It's Denver, Miami. Then we have the, uh, Goldman Sachs women's team with Texas Roadhouse, CCB with Foundation Cycling in fourth, um, Kelly Benefit Cycling male team with Promo Velo Racing with the women's side, Monarch Racing with Team Mike's Bikes, Skyline Super Bars Fount, and Roxo Volair Racing. Um, you know, in that order, but then we look at the points, and it's 139 to 95 to 29 to 19, 14, 7, 6, 5, 3, 1. Is this from, is this the Miami points in isolation? And that's just how Miami ended? Or is this a part of a greater overall that these points carry off into Denver? And so if I'm Team Skylight with six points, well, where's my head at? I'm just like here to have fun, <laughs> respectively. Like, e even yeah. if you brought the six best guys, you know, in the nation, but between D Denver, in Miami, they had the next best 12 guys. Those best six aren't going to outscore the next best 12. Right. You know, I, I, so is, is yeah. this, we don't see in the rule book or, you know, in the literature, if you will, is this a, a point standing in isolation for one event or does this carry over into Denver and Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, I hope it's a standalone. Uh, yeah, and just reset at zero for everybody. Yeah, because like, we, like even Miami, that's uh, forty-six points. That's a that's a tall task, you know. Especially yeah. if we look at the how the points were allocated or won uh, in the previous round. It's like very. It's, it's a hard. <laughs> it's, it's a big hill to climb. Yeah, I mean, it's. There were just such discrepancies in, in the team uh, ability to score points, yep. so to speak. So, um, so that yeah, that's what we have. And then, yeah, we don't have a start sheet. You know, mm -hmm. um, again, we have well, we have participating teams. Yeah, so we can go through those. We have um, CCB presented by Levine Law Group, which is the women's program, and they are paired with the Foundation Cycling Men's program and gabe that's a east coast team that's previously uh the ccra or cc crca CRCA. And yeah the foundation one of the longest running new york city based programs they bring in a lot of riders from dominican republic and the caribbean in general to support them and give them an opportunity to race a criterium circuit in america so nice to see foundation getting themselves in the door for ncl and then we have, and we're just going alphabetical order here. It looks like on the nclracing.com backslash teams website. Then we have Denver Disruptors. Um, they were at a local crit I was at yesterday. Um, so some of them were. Riley Sheehan was, was not. Noah Granigan wasn't there, but they're local. So I'd imagine they'd be going. But Tetkoff was there. Um, 
And one other guy? Oscar? Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if, who the rest of their team makeup may be, whether it's Van Rinsburg or Ulysses. Yeah, they Ulysses is on there. Um, Sergio Hanayo. haven't seen him since Tulsa. Or, yeah, yeah, since Tulsa. Tulsa. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine we're going to see most of these teams present simply because if you have six squatters and can substitute two, that means you have eight riders need to be accessible. Right? Right. If that's how that is. Yeah. So, we can, you know, uh, just kind of surmise who's going to represent that program. Yeah. Then we go down to um, Font Cycling Guild, their co-ed program out of Seattle, correct? Really? I thought they're out of... Well, so we have one guy who races here in T-Town for them, and he is listed as Greenwich, Connecticut. So I don't know if he's just a random or... Am I getting or, teams mixed up? Uh, F-O-U-N-T, Fount, right, with the green and all that? Yeah, this used to be Metier out of oh. Seattle. Um, well, David Richter a, and yeah. uh, you know Jennifer Wheeler, she was on the women's endurance track squad quite okay. a few years ago. But they are Washington-based, I believe. Oh, they have a club team. Yeah. And yes, here are some of Yeah. Yeah, this is the kit that shows up to T-Town. So, I don't know. We got an East Coaster in yeah. there. In the but race. they had like a good... Uh, the women's program had a good showing for this team size at Pro Road. Hmm. Um, you know, they were amongst it, but they didn't make that great of decisions when it came to saving energy and being able to like push, for, you know, when it's That's right. when it when it mattered. Um, so yeah, I remember that they were like way off to the outside of the lead out. Yeah, the women's crit. Them? Yeah, they just yeah. Uh, for a brief moment, we're racing a completely different race. <laughs> but the the one rider was super strong, like made you know basically the final selection in the women's road race, mm. and she was like kind of the one that initiate the lead out within like twelve hundred meters to go. Right. Um, so, a, a team with ability from what we've seen from previous racing. Yeah, hopefully they can translate that into points and rack them up. They got two points in the last race, so. Yeah, Use and that it's effort wisely. And this platform can be like a steep learning curve for uh, like a young program, you know, in figuring it out. So we might see yeah. a, a you know different strategy from these people, these teams. Next on the list is Goldman Sachs ETFs Racing. Uh, that's the women's program. Previously, uh, Papa John's. That's the uh, Flamingo Racing. I think is the umbrella. Um, you know, business name. And then, you know, okay. it's branded Coldman Sachs. And they are paired with my alma mater, Texas Roadhouse Cycling, presented by VQ Labs. What's a VQ lab? It is a, um, it's like a high-performance lab in Louisville, or just, I think Louisville, could be Indiana. Okay. Um, but yeah, they go in there to bike fits, metabolic testing. Got it. All those um, good fun stuff. Next okay. on the list is Kelly Benefit Cycling, the elite program. Uh, you know, that used to be title sponsor for Kelly Benefit Strategies, which was... Who are they paired with? 
Primo Fellow Racing. I don't know if that's like a French Quebec squad, maybe? Quebecois. Um, and I'm probably pronouncing oh, yeah. it wrong, very, very likely. Oh, they're a UCI Women's Continental program, apparently. There we go. Right on. Um, so they've, you know, Kelly Benefits Cycling has produced, you know, some good riders over the years. You know, they get kind of, seemingly every other year they get one, one rider that's kind of is able to step up into the front of the men's field. Yep. Next on our list, Miami Knights. Co-ed team. We know that. We've seen them around. Yeah. Winning bike races and things. Um, yeah, they were also very present at the local Denver uh, Golden Training Crit. Yesterday, Rodriguez Gomez was out there. Traviesa was out there. A few of their women as well. Getting amongst the men is pretty funny. I, um, I'm doing this like project uh, live stream GoPro thing that I was testing there. And so had it had it up and running, you know, going up and down the pack a little bit. And I got this um, beautiful clip of Boutine just like perfectly like riding this thing and then just like pushes this guy off the wheel, like just nice and like just subtle nice. and movement. And I like trimmed it up and I sent it to her. I was like, oh, dude, take care of the men, are we? <laughs> uh, it was pretty funny. So it's good to see that, you know, those, those ladies are in, you know, these chaotic men's training crits and, and handling themselves very well. Um, and not really feel like they like just getting pushed to the back because like a bunch of dudes with too much ego are being like dangerous dickheads of like, I can't let a women race in front of me. They're going to drop the wheel. And it's like, dude, they are better than you. Um, so you should hold their wheel. So you don't get dropped. Yep. So it's, it's always fun to watch that stuff. Next on our list is Monarch racing. And they are going to be paired with team Mike's bikes presented by equator coffees. Also an alma mater of mine. Um, I was on that program when I was in NorCal. Mike Spikes? Yeah. Oh. 2013. Shout out to those guys. Um, yeah, that was the elite program that I would say definitely gave me the platform to like refine myself. You know, came in typically with any of these elite amateur teams, like all the su material support, etc. But then away from that, it was just like, hey, you know, you can be around as much as you want to be around. No, no, we just, we have some really young guys. We want you to like teach and mentor. And so I was able to just kind of like ride my bike without stress, without like worry. Ended up having just like a killer winner. And then just one, you know, Cats Hill solo, which is, I mean, if you're OG like me, especially NorCal is a very famous criterion. Like Lamond has won it. Jonas Carney's won it. Like Eric Hyden, I believe. So, it's a pretty big deal. I think it's a it's a race that should be on the national calendar. Like if okay. we brought the national peloton to that race, boy howdy, would it be an exciting race? It would be super super good. I mean, it's that race is harder than Crybaby Hill, which is what like Whoa. everybody paying attention to Cry Cry ugh, everybody paying attention to racing now, right? Crybaby Hill is like you know the the artist crit, like it's notorious, but. For guys like me, it's like we have Cat Baby, Cry Baby Hill, we have Cats Hill, we've got Snake Alley, Stillwater, you know, that are from when I was really racing. You had all those crits that were on the national calendar that were arguably harder than Cry Baby Hill. Um, wow. they, they just have those races taken a step back. So 
Yeah. Who's next? Who we got? Um, we got Roxo Racing. Oh, yeah. I believe they're out of SoCal. They've been racing internationally okay. recently. They were just down doing the uh, Columbia race with DNA. Also another UCI Women's Continental Program. Yeah. Oh, this is um, Chan McRae. Funny enough. I'm getting so old that I'm attached to all these teams in some random fashion. But uh, Chan McRae was, when I took the step from amateur racing to like my first pro team, like the national team, Chan was my director. And he was part of that VMG um, baby Garmin thing that, uh, that all trans, trans, transferred into. And then you have cool. Scott Warren, who's like an OG in the industry. Uh, super, super good dude. Um, but funny enough, yeah, so oh, they're based out of Texas, actually. Okay. So, yeah, Roxo Racing, and they are paired with Volare Factory Racing, which I would imagine is out of another uh, NorCal. Yeah, San Rafael. Based team, knowing Volare. San Rafael, I should say. Yeah. How, how do you guys say that? San Rafael or San Rafael? San Rafael. <sighs> tomato, tomato. I guess I would always say San Rafael. Yeah. That's how I hear the locals say it, but then when I read it, I say I throw the E in there. Is it so Houston Re- Street or Houston Street? <laughs> Houston, man. Okay. Come on. It's weird. Nobody knows what you're talking about. You go, where's Houston Street? It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, yeah, so those two teams next. Then we have Team Skyline, uh, co-ed program. Your boy, Ryan DeWall. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um east coast legend he's been around so long forever um but i mean yeah he gives everything back to the sport and what he does in reading with his bike shop skateboard shop and those local kids um as wild as he is or has been and he's you know people may have run into me like this guy is like a positive person in the community is a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, he was kind of the bad boy of cycling for a little bit, uh, <laughs> in his presentation, if you will. Um, but he's just, yeah, one of those OGs that's carrying a portion of East coast cycling and giving guys opportunities. Yeah, it's great. Then next we have team Supra bars. I think this is, uh, they're out of like one of the Carolinas. Yeah, it's Crater. And Andy Crater. And Debbie, Debbie Milne. Yeah. And then her daughter, Kate Milne. Ooh, so, so another mother-daughter duo in the, yeah. the women's field. Yep. Crazy. Two mother-daughter duos, because the other one is Paula Munoz and uh, her daughter, yep. right? I, thought, I believe so. Because oh, her daughter's on uh, ETFs. EFTs? ETFs? Yep. One of those. Yep, so the co-ed program. Um... Five total cool. points. Don't know anybody on the men's program. Yeah. On and the then, Super Bars program? Yeah. You know Andrew Crater. Everybody knows Crater. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but other than that, I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know if he's even riding, respectively. Like, you know, or if it's he's just directing, uh, managing that program. Fair. Okay. Moving on. And then, yeah, that covers everybody. Um, that's the teams that are racing. 
So we can't really do picks here, right? Like, there's no, like, the, we can't, we just, like, looked at the teams. We don't know what, what to even say here because this is not about individuals. This is about teams. If I'm going to win, so, I'm picking disruptors since, I, okay. since, since you can't pick them because I picked them. You know, like fantasy Wait, why? style. Oh, it's fantasy style? How come you got first pick? Because I, I, I raced for it. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm fine. Miami second. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's uh, pretty unfortunate we don't have a start list um, and a full, full understanding of exactly how the points... Of how this works. Yeah. yeah. If there's points rollover or if we're starting from scratch... I think today, you know, if people are listening to today and just be like, what the heck is going on here? It's the fact that, like, we are just spectators of this, and this is sort of where the spectators have been left with the NCL. So, I, I, I mean, I got to qualify that in, like, the fact that we have the NCL is great for sport, and we need projects like this in the sport of cycling to help inject some, not just dollars, but just fresh perspectives and try something new and to get people excited about these things. Um, but man, like, if your spectators don't know even what they're showing up to cheer for, it's uh, it's hard to rally behind that and, and have some real fan base, in my opinion. And part of that is what Daniel was talking about earlier in the program with is, you know, we need these crescendos. We need, like, a storyline to follow. And I don't think that's because... Daniel and I are commentators. It's just that, like, we're spectators, we're fans of the sport, and we would like to be able to see, um, to have somebody to root for or have a team to root for in a way that we understand that there can, can be winners and losers. Because the greatest thing about sport is the fact that we can lose, right? And that's why winning is so great. Because the fact that somebody like Daniel can win a whole bunch of races, that has value only because we know how hard that feet can be and so right now we're sort of in this position with the ncl of well i guess denver's just gonna win so and it's like on the website like you know they do have under this teams pages like you can click and see roster sizes but again like you just you click roadhouse and there's 14 guys there uh 12 you know or you, you click other programs volaire you know lists 16 riders like we clearly know that you can't write 16 people so um we can't get an idea of who's on a team but not who's racing to right. put together any kind of picture of like oh we at littleton we saw this you know these riders from these teams do well or not to give us a picture of what we can expect i guess i feel like people will tune in just because it's created this big splash in the space but yeah. It's it's not they're not tuning in because they are authentically fans of it. They're just curious, and eventually that curiosity runs out. So I hope for the longevity of NCL that we see some little bit of a tightening up of some of the these presentation elements. Because frankly, people like Daniel and I that are so deep into the sport shouldn't really have those many speculative questions for an hour. So yeah, and I think this is one of those touch points that they are the NCL is going to figure out you know again it's if we think of this as a startup business like outside of and just give it that title it's a startup and how many iterations versions point two point three point four you know yeah 
do we get from, I mean, we still get iOS updates, right? You know, we're not on 1.1. So right. I do believe that the NCL is, you know, is figuring stuff out, right? And prioritizing the things they feel they need to prioritize. And so getting a start list out at this point in time, you know, they may not see that as a, you know, a priority, you know, um, hmm. which, which, you know, if may, they may get feedback, whether that's, you know, maybe from this, I don't think we're that big of a deal or it's, you know, some other people saying, Hey, we'd like to, you know, who's racing, you know, and somebody's going to go, oh, we'll check the website. And it's like, well, there's 300 la- athletes listed across all your teams. They go, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like only 60 in each field. So, yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully this, it just continues to grow and polish is what we can hope for. Um, so those fans that do tune in, you know, like the whole idea, right, is to be fans of Denver because you're you're local to Colorado or Miami or you just like those colors. You know, again, just like our big sports um, type thing. And so they're just, you know, probably just working out the kinks. And because we're dorks and we pay so much attention to everything because that's what we're used to getting, um, yeah. some of these things for us can be annoying. So A little bit, but and who knows? nevertheless, we love it. It's Thursday, and you know by Saturday afternoon, before the qualifiers, the official start list will be published. Because, I mean, even World Tour races, right, they produce eight guys, and then they have a window of time that guys can get switched out from illness or injury or whatever. So sure. uh, that could also be transpiring. You know, this is, like, again, different format in the sense there's no bike reg. You don't get to pre-reg for this, right? These teams are all, like, invite-only, et cetera. Right. So there's no bike reg to, to look at or things like that so um, well the weather looks beautiful for saturday's forecast in denver uh sunday race oh, sunday race oh it's a sunday race. sunday's race 82 even better eight high of 82 degrees mostly cloudy that's gonna be awesome i hope you have a good time going down there man it's gonna be a lot of fun i'll be uh, watching on gcn and uh you know, I think if anybody else has any insights for us, feel free to shoot us a message so that we can add to that for our post-race recap. Cool. I mean, it's busy too, right? We have this, then it goes straight to Atlanta, then we have Momentum Indy, right? So it's like these racers, you know, the general peloton of crit racing is going to be pretty, pretty busy from here on out uh, through Gateway Cup. Yeah. So pretty cool good, to see. Good finale to the season for sure. Yep. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We appreciate you. Catch you on the flip side. Peace.